you're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And i got to tell you something, people. When I lived in L.A. years ago, well, about three years ago I moved back, I would occasionally do background work. And I, I did it because it was fun, and you get free crafty, and you'd eat a lot. And I did a show, a great show called Silicon Valley. Now, I was cast as a Hooli, which if you haven't seen the show, Hooli's like Google. I was cast as a Hooli security guard. And I remember when I got to the set, they picked, they picked, well, there was five of us, they picked me as the, I guess, the chosen one. So I, it was a hot day. I got to sit in this Escalade, and there was the, a driver who was also a background, Matt Ross, who was Gavin Belson, and this gentleman who was the head of security on the show. And I remember he sat there, and he was very nice, and he, and he, he had pictures. I think he just gotten back from vacation. He was at some island, or, or he was scuba diving or something. And, and I got out, and we did the scene, and that gentleman was Chris Williams, and my guest today is Chris Williams. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> yes, I'm good. Thank you. Yes, I had just gotten back from Fiji. Now, yes. now, are, are you seem like as we're talking, you seem like someone who travels a lot. Are, are, do you, are you a, a big traveler? I've been to fifty-one countries. Wow. I'm on my way. I'm trying to get to a hundred one day. We'll see. Uh, but uh, fifty-one right now. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere in the past the past year. Of course, right when the construction. Yeah. That's all right. I can do. It's funny. I always when I record, I always worry sometimes. Like I knew the landscapers came by yesterday in my condo development because I was here and I sit there. I start sweating, going, "Are oh, they going to be done by the time my guest is on?" Now, where where do you how do you pick where you want to go? Um, usually, I have like um, two or three places ahead of time that I'm thinking about where I'd like to go, and I try to bounce around. Like I go to Europe, and maybe go to Asia, then maybe go to Africa, and I try to or an island. The reason why I, I'm I'm part of these um, there's secret flying. There's all these great little uh, web websites that you can Pomelo is one of them that you can sign up for, and they'll they have uh, deals like um, special deals that you know no one knows about, uh, crash deals, gas deals, all these kind of things. So. The way I got to Fiji was in March, I got a, a, an email that said round trip to New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand. I'd never been to Auckland for 365 bucks from LA direct. And I'm like, wow, 365. I mean, like, actually, it was 260. Oh, wow. But then I decided to go through the website. If you go through the direct website, it was 365 round trip. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to, uh, to Auckland. And then I said, well, where can I go in, in March that's near Auckland that I wouldn't normally go that's tropical? And I'm like, well, Fiji's like right there. It's like another four-hour flight, and it's probably cheaper to fly from Auckland. So I bought a round-trip ticket from, from Auckland to Fiji, and, uh, and then I try to use my uh, traveling celebrity type thing and try to um, – convince the resort to have me host me so i'm a friend of mine from australia and i went to um uh to to fiji and got hosted by the by the resort so and i've been back twice <laughs> that's that's the, to, that's the way to do it <laughs> i decided to go to in march i decided uh march a couple years ago i got a one-way flight direct from la to stockholm sweden in 
March, which is going to be cold, for thirty-five bucks. Oh wow! See, because it, it was a, it, it was Scandinavian Airlines. They had never had a hub out of LA, and they didn't have any flight. You know, it was so cheap. I'm like, well, I'll just use frequent flyer miles to come back. So I went to Sweden and Norway, and then uh, Denmark and Finland, and it was cold, but <laughs> it was great. That's perfect. Now, I'm going to ask you, you know, I've been, I interview a lot of actors, and they all have different views. How are you acclimating to the coronavirus? Not in a political temperament, but how are you, are you missing getting an offer or auditioning or working? How is it affecting you, and how do you st- stay focused on your acting chops? Because, you know, you, you work a lot, so you, you keep those chops up. But I'm sure you're right. so used to, pre- over the years, so pre- used to preparing for a role but now it's sort of in limbo. How are you acclimating to it? This has actually been, and I, I sometimes hate to say it because people are like, oh my God, you know, I'm bored of this and the other. This has been the best thing that could happen for me because it was a complete reset. I've worked out 108 days in a row since March. I've lost 17 pounds. I've gained muscle. I'm trimmer. I feel great. It was more of a reset for me of... It's hard being an actor also because you're, you're rarely working. You know, that when you get to work, it's fun. But, but when, you're, when you're not working, it's about getting the work. And when you don't have work and you see other people getting work and it's pilot season and it's a, a struggle and you're going after a lot of stuff, um, it's frustrating when you're not getting the job that you want. But now that no one's working, there's no pressure because no one's working. So there's no, there was no pressure on me to have a job i need a job i have to get you know i have to get get something right now so i've been trying to re- really uh use that this time and quarantine and being by myself in my house and having as you can hear i have construction being done in my house reconstruction but almost i had a new foundation put in my house so i'm almost looking at it like a new foundation for me as well okay um I, i'm eating better i've been meditating I worked out, as I said, I've been working out every day. I feel great, and I'll be ready for when we start up again, which is actually, I got in a, I had my first commercial audition yesterday, and uh, I have a, a, a new audition, an audition for tomorrow, as a matter of fact, all self-taped. So it's going to be a really interesting landscape when we come back, what it's going to look like or how it's going to be. But it's been fantastic for me, really. I mean, I've really got a chance to work on myself, and in terms of the acting chops and stuff, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really uh, been working with. Uh, well, I, I have been doing some other things with some other people, like on our own. But uh, it's been really good. It's been really, really nice for me. Now, now, what's your feeling? Because you've been around, and I always, you know, I talk to, like a young actor wouldn't really be able to answer this. What's your, what's your feeling personally when it comes to? Taped audition or in-person audition? Okay, so I used to, I would have a problem with, I have ADD, so what would happen with me a lot of times, I would call it the vacuum, where, where when I was a young actor, I'd go in there, I'd do my role, and I'd get spit out, and I'd leave the room, I'm like, what just happened? Because I was so all over the place, I couldn't focus on anything, I was just trying to concentrate so much. Um Sometimes the room can really, and, and the, the, the better I got at it, um, the more I could calm myself down and, and, uh, and enjoy the room. Um, but 
self-taping also. Now I have a whole setup here at my house where I have a backdrop, I have a, 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 you know, microphones now. But you can choose what takes that you like to do. So you can take more time with it. I have a whole setup where if I'm, I'm missing a line, I can I can do things. I can I'm, I'm much more freer. Excuse me, freer on self tape than I, I booked Silicon on as a self tape. Okay. Because Mike Judge had remembered me from a uh, from Idiocracy. Uh, do you remember that movie Idiocracy? Yeah. My friend worked I, on it. I read for President uh, Camacho, okay. uh, Terry Crews' role, <laughs> but he remembered me from that and. I, I was uh, I auditioned for that on tape, so it all it all depends. I, I actually am really enjoying self taping because I have more control. And sometimes, um, if you're working with somebody on a self tape, they're probably an actor too. Where if you're in the room, a lot of times it's the casting director, and they don't give you anything, so you have nothing to. I'm a very reactive actor of you know, what I'm getting from the other person so I can feed off of that. And if you, a lot of cast directors sometimes are these reading the lines because they've read them so much throughout the day. They're saying so-and-so and so-and-so and blah, 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 and, and putting nothing into it. So you have to fabricate as opposed to being organic about it. And if you're working with an actor on a self-tape, you can be more organic. And I feel like it's, I'm really, I'm really enjoying self-taping more. Now, how did you get into acting? It's funny. I do my research before. A few things I didn't know. I didn't know you were Vanessa Williams' brother. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know you were a magician, I believe. Yes. And and you were a stand-up. <laughs> yes. And and you're like a fourth-degree black belt. Yes. Now, I'm a, I'm, I like to do everything. Yeah, I'm just sitting there. I, go, I was reading because I, I was looking through and I'm like, holy crap, man. This guy's like Joe Multitasker. How, when did you decide? Well, first of all, did you do magic first or did you want to get into acting first? Uh, I went to Georgetown University, and I graduated with a degree in psychology, and I was going to go to law school. So I was going to defer a year. My sister was living out here in L.A., so I decided to come out here because I loved L.A. Uh, and uh, I was going to go to law school. I was going to be a lawyer, but I didn't, I didn't really want to be a lawyer. <laughs> and I'd always performed. Um, but I didn't. Want, all my friends were going to business school, and you know, if you go to business school or med school or something along those lines, so I came out here, I said I'd defer a year, and I wanted to get into performing some way, but I didn't want to be poor. And as an actor, we're starting out, you really have to start off, you know, being poor. Right. So I worked in the record industry for a while, doing um, A&R for Mercury Records and, you know, music scouting, and I did that for a couple of years. I sold cars, I sold sobs for a while, and um, I did a play for the uh, LA Los Angeles Theater Company. And there was other people who were working. I was 25 at the time. Other people that were working. And I enjoyed doing the play. And they're like, well, are you going to do this or not? I'm like, are you going to? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'm like, well, you know, you're 25. You better get to it. Right. I'm like, okay, I, I throw all caution in the wind. And I started auditioning. And I decided to be poor for a while. And, and what I don't recommend, which I was telling a, a young actor the other day, is I looked at that as I was trying to give a, a if you want to be a doctor you go to college med school residency there's a linear path as an actor there's no path whatsoever so you kind of have to make your own path so what I did is I funded myself with 10 credit cards pay, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul and and trying to going back and forth and at one point I was 30 years old and I was 
sixty and within the five years I was sixty thousand dollars in credit card debt, Man. burning about six grand a year. But as long as I saw progress and forward progress, as long as I was getting roles and getting closer and closer, I just keep funding it. It's kind of like gambling, you know. It's it's kind of like you, you keep and I was betting on myself, and then I started. I was doing stand up as well. And you know, I was seeing that I was I was getting better, better roles, and and then I did uh, a, a sketch comedy show called Hype, which was on the WB network with Frank Caliendo, Jennifer Liscas, Cox, and um, and we did seventeen episodes, ten grand an episode, knocking out my debt just like that. Well, so then I could start start anew, you know, with at least yeah. something. But well, I don't recommend putting yourself in sixty thousand dollars with a credit card debt. Now, when um, you, I was gonna say when you when you got hype, because you know, yes, yeah, my standup was characters. I did I did all kinds of characters that you couldn't even you could not. It was so politically incorrect you could not do them today. Uh, and uh, that led me to hype when I did my audition for for hype. I already had three or four characters that I'd honed on the stage and I'd done. I did the uh, world's greatest backup singer Jefferson Pip. And he sang nothing but the backup class. And so he was like, you know, do, 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 you're all right. And, uh, and these other characters. So when I got hyped, I was already ready to do different characters. And then that led me to Curb Your Enthusiasm. Marla Garland was the casting director on, on hype and knew, Jeff was her husband, knew that I could do characters or of a rapper or, or imitation of the Master P because... And Master P audition for the show, Ghostface Killer, Sticky Fingers, Mike Epps, like all these great rappers and actors audition for, for Curb Your Enthusiasm. But I knew the sensibility of what Curb was about, and I knew I could do a character that could feed into the show as opposed to just a character on its own. Does that make sense? Yeah, now what, what made you feel like you knew that? Because it's, is it instinct, or is it just something that you had had the background of doing stand-up and doing, you know, a sketch show? I mean... What made you sure? Because you have to have some confidence, especially if you're going into the room with Kirby Enthusiasm and with Larry and all that. And you were, I believe, with Wanda, Slikes on that. You were... Yes, yeah. yes. What made, you, what made you feel that you had it? Like, I mean, did you just have, you know, I got the big swing of balls, I'm coming in, I'm taking this. Or did you just sit there and say, I know what I'm doing, this part is mine to lose? Well, I wasn't a huge fan of Curb. I didn't watch the first two seasons, really, of Curb. And I was in the third season that I that I auditioned for, so I, I wasn't really I didn't have the intimidation factor yet. So I, I but I knew that in the audition all all I got was three different lines. It was uh, your actor engagement party. Say you like eating, you know, Asian blank, you know, pussy, and then you know, and that's it. So your actor engagement party, you're a gangster rapper, and you're talking to Larry. So I. I left my house. I have blue eyes, so I wore brown contacts. I put these. I had left over from hype. I had these silver teeth and these silver bottom teeth that I could put in that fit perfectly. I uh, put a, a tattoo, a fake tattoo, on my arm that said Wolf, because I was calling myself the Wolf Man, which is a ridiculous thing. Like my name would be Wolf. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like I would be the Wolf Man. And I went in there and I left my house like that because it's an all improv audition. So when I left my house, I was I was the Wolfman. I came in like this, and I was I was ready to go. So I was already in the mode of doing whatever I'm doing and get a visceral reaction. So I went into a 
another office that wasn't curvy enthusiasm just to see if I was having an effect on the secretary. I was like, yeah, I'm looking for, and they're like, oh, it's down there. So I could see that I was actually affecting them at the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready. So when I went in for curb, I knew the sensibility of what curb is, is that Larry David makes people uncomfortable and he makes, you know, and he, you know, is very opinionated. But if I can make him uncomfortable, if I can put it back on him and make him off balance, that's what's going to make the funny <coughs> because he's so used to being in charge and being so, you know, particular. If I, if I hit him with some, you know, you know, something and he has to react from that and he's afraid whether he's going to offend me, he doesn't know if I'm going to hit him or am I going to hug him. So the more that I can keep that tension between he and I, like, I like you, but I might kill you, but I like you, but do you like, does he like me? Does he, that's what makes, that's what makes Curb funny. And, uh, so I just went for it and Larry bought that I was an actual rapper. He said, is, is he a good rapper? He's like, no, no, because Jeff knew. He's like, no, no, he's an actor. And, and when I got on set, which, which is interestingly enough, I didn't want to break that character too much. Like, I, look, I'm from Chappaquan, New York. I went to Georgetown. I'm like, oh, I'm a magician. You know, this is, this is, I'm not crazy as at all. But when I went into it, I had to be, I had to make sure that I, I kept saying to myself, be hard, as hard as Chris can be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or, you know, and pushing the envelope to see how hard that I could be. And, uh, yeah, and I got the gig. So it was, it was great. And it was, and I, so I wanted to keep that tension between us. And that, uh, the first scene we shot is the first scene of uh, being in the garden. Uh, where I'm, I'm asking about, you know, the first scene that we, we did in the improv in the audition. So it was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. It was a great experience. Now, what before that, tell me about how your career was before that. Were you getting a lot of auditions? What were some of your highlights? Because, you know, I would think that Curb, even though you're, an act, you're a working actor, I think Curb would get a lot of more eyeballs on you just because it's a very inside show. I mean, it's HBO. Right. It's a very Hollywood-driven show. You know, Ted Dance and all these guys show up. Before that, what were some of your highlights? I mean, I know you worked a lot, but what were some of your highlights and even your lowlights in your career before that? Well, I was doing, you know, I did Hype, which was my first major series, which was good. And then um, I'd done Blank Man, Major Pain, and I got cut out of that. I'd done some smaller things and some guest stars. I did a guest star on, uh, on Martin. Um... And so I knew I had some some kind of confidence in, in when I went. But Curb, as, a, as you know, as it was the third third season. So only two seasons of Curb had been on. So it hadn't been the juggernaut that it is now. You know, it, it didn't have the mystique of like, oh my god, you know, it's Curb Your Enthusiasm, and everybody wants to be on it. So luckily for me, I didn't I didn't have that weighing on me as I went, and so I could just go go nuts. And um, it's a struggle as being an actor and being a young actor is is a struggle going, you know, trying to get gigs and trying to go and uh, and, and 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 work. So uh, I did some small movies and nothing major. And then but Curb is the, the thing that after hype really started launching me towards my career. The way it is, is now. Do you, do, you, um, do you think you were more? I guess to say grounded because you were older, like hype. I believe Mike Roof was in that, right? 
Chicken Man? Yes. Michael yeah, because yes. Mike knew a friend of mine from L.A., and he's passed away, you know, Mike. But yes. uh, I remember my friend uh, Neil Bobel, his wife Sandra Mitchell on KCAL. And I had just been in LA for a little bit, and they had a house in Pasadena, and they had a hot tub. And here comes in the chicken man, and as you call him, he just right. jumps head first in. And so he was right. young, he was crazy. For you, because you were older, you know, you were a little bit older, do you think it was easier for you? Because a lot of people, I mean, you were in debt. You knew you had to get out of debt. It wasn't like, hey, you're $60,000 in debt. Here's $170,000, and you're going, oh, I'm going to go buy a Porsche. You're going, no, I got to get rid right. of this credit card. And that's, and that's the type of shit chicken did. Right. Because he was so young and so you know, wild and crazy. And I, I was like the Papa, Papa bear on set trying to say, Hey man, you know, you know, it was an interesting perspective that I had just because to to try to wrangle his energy. He was like doing all all over the place. And like, he was like a comet, you know, he just flew up in the air and, and, and lit up the sky. And then, you know, unfortunately, um, passed away. Um, so I, I felt like I had a little bit of more of a, of a, of a, older uh balance for the show and uh and a little more seasoning than the than the other ones uh on the show now you um oh, sorry. No, i was gonna say you said you got cut out of a uh, major pain i've been cut out of major pain anchorman spider-man 2 uh jeff garland had a movie uh, d- uh d- dinner with idiots um scary mo- uh, scary movie four I've been cut out a whole bunch of films. What's that and like? What's that feeling? That, like, like you must be so... I mean, it's such an accomplishment that you got cast. And that's the thing. You know, right. people don't understand that... People who haven't lived in Hollywood or haven't been to business don't understand what are its accomplishments. Like, I talked to so many actors who said, I had a pilot that failed. I'm like, yeah, but you had a pilot. That's such an accomplishment. What's it like when you finally get it? You're, you're, you're yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you go to watch it. And you're not in it. It's like having a, I guess it's probably like if you had a surprise party and like nobody showed up. <laughs> exactly. I, I, and I just got cut out of last year, an uh, Ethan Hawke film, which was, I had a great scene with Ethan Hawke and that was disappointing, but it's, it's part of the business. It's really, and as I said, I've been cut out so much. It's, I did a, in Scary Movie 4, I did a scene with Patrice O'Neill, who's one of the greatest yeah. comedians of all time, rest, uh, rest in peace. And the two of us got to be these kind of rappers who were, being chased by an iPod. That's how long ago Scary Movie 4 was. <laughs> but we had the best time in Vancouver. I got paid a, a good amount of money for the three days I was there. It was fantastic, and I was so looking forward to it. And I would have gotten a bonus if I had stayed in the film. I would have gotten a whole much more money, but, you know, that's that's how it happens. Um, and in Anchorman, I did a scene where um, uh, uh, Susie Nakamura, who's also in Dodgeball, right. who plays, you know, she and I played interns at the at, at the radio, uh, TV station. When they get kidnapped, all the anchors get kidnapped. We fill in for them and become the beginning of uh, racial diversity in television. And it did make the cut, and it didn't even make Anchorman Two when they had the extras. So I'm not, it must have been really bad because it was mostly improv as well. Um, but it's part of it's part of the thing. You you get hyped up for it. I, I always say in anything, especially in this business, you have to give 90% because, A, you have to save 10% for when you're going to need it. You can't show them everything because you have to give them 90%. Also, you have to brace yourself for the possibility that even though you're right for it, everyone wants you, it still may not happen, having nothing to do with you because you are a commodity. 
You know, you have to market yourself, and you have even if it's about yourself, you have to separate your your emotions a little bit from it because you you you're out of your control. Maybe they, maybe they remind you of your the director reminded you of his boy, uh, girlfriend's uh, ex husband or something. You, you never you never know what it is. So you have to reserve that that ten percent just to protect yourself. Otherwise, you'll rip your hair out. Well, all my hair is gone anyway. But you'll you know you'll you'll just crush yourself. Um, so it's, it's disappointing, you know. I've, and I've been shaved. Like I had some great scenes in Dodgeball, also that were shaved off because, you know, it's part of uh, it's part of the part of the process. And and uh, but you just have to go with it. You just have to hope that you know your your part is going to be enough to keep it going. Now, do they tell you in advance you're not going to be in it, or do you go to the premiere and you're not in it? A lot of times they will tell you in advance, and sometimes they won't. It depends on the movie, depends on the producer, depends on your relationship, or depends on if they uh, um, if they tell you not. I went to one uh, movie that I was in, and I got cut down to just one line. I had four scenes that I did in this film, and I got cut down to one line, and I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? It was a friend of mine who was the producer. So why don't you tell me? It's like, oh, I thought you'd be upset. I'm like, well, I have people here coming right. to see me in the film, and now I look like, <laughs> yeah. And then um, sometimes you're surprised. You see the film, and it's like, oh, well, I would lose more in that, but you know, it's okay. Uh, as I said, you got to reserve that 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 ten percent to give yourself a little cushion. Like, no matter what you do, and even if it's in the can, even if you get the role, even sometimes if you get the role, and you're until you start on set shooting and shooting and then get paid paid for it, that's when you can be like, okay, at least I got paid for it. Because sometimes people get fired off of the, the table read. You, you know, you get a pilot. Some people get, they want to change casting. You're too good looking for, you're taller than the lead or this, that, and the other. They want to go in a different direction. You always have to hold a little bit back just to protect yourself, protect your heart. Because it's a it's a rough business out there. It's a really hard business to be in. Now, besides all those things I said, you also were in drag and Ugly Betty, right? Yes. Now, how did so that come I, up? I decided I would only do drag two times. <laughs> the first time I did it, I was in the World's Fastest Indian with Anthony Hopkins. And it was uh, an amazing... Uh, I went into the audition not in full drag, but just with a scarf and just the, the, the feeling of being uh, a trans a transvestite or a transsexual in 19, uh, late 60s. So um, I just, Roger Donaldson was the director for that. And all my scenes, I had eight scenes, all with just me and Anthony Hopkins. That is a dream come true. And I remember, I remember I was standing right out there. I remember exactly the, the time I got the phone call that I got that part I was I still get chills over how excited I was with that and then my whole thing about that I had a friend teach me how to how to walk in heels and four inch heels inside my size 12 feet but the thing I had a problem with was I'm, I'm a little bigger I'm a I'm a you know I got big arms and stuff I wanted to be smaller and I felt like what it was like to be a woman wanting to be smaller wanting to be smaller and not be so imposing uh, and embrace the fact of uh, um, of my my feminine side and bring that to the role. And Anthony Hopkins, he is he is the greatest person as well, an actor as well. He was so 
kind and giving and understanding. And I remember just, I'm sitting in a car with Anthony Hopkins for hours. And I'm like, I'm writing down questions before him. Like, if you have this time, ask Anthony Hopkins questions. So I asked him, like, what was it like? You know, tell me about some of your experience. And he told me about the time that he, when he was a child, he wrote Charlie Chaplin a letter saying how much he was a fan of his. And Charlie Chaplin wrote him back. And I'm like, oh, do you have the letter? Do you have the letter? He's like, no. And, you know, his mother threw it out. But... And then the ironic part is when he got his Oscar nomination, he was on the set of Chaplin doing, getting his Oscar nominated for Silence of the Lambs when he won. So just the experience of being able to act across from a, a, a Academy Award, one of the greatest actors of our time, and being so giving and it taught me so much about just being present he's like just look, know your lines and say them making now, it so simple now are you intimidated when it's something like that because i mean you've worked with some great people okay i mean right. believe me gosh well all this you've worked with you know larry your career you've worked with some great people but you know once again anthony hopkins it's like it'd be like if you played catch and you all of a sudden <laughs> you're catch with a hall of famer is it exactly is it something that I know you're eager because you're like it's gonna. You know it's gonna be a learning experience. And people have told me that before. When you work with someone great, just watch. You know, just hang right. out. Don't go out with a crew after. Just hang out and watch their scenes. But for you, as a, as a younger actor, because you're younger than him, is there an intimidation? Is there in your back of mind going, "Man, I hope I don't screw up a line because I'm gonna feel like such an asshole if I do." Well, an, interest, an interesting part of that's interesting you say that because I remember one scene. First of all, he makes it so, the great actors make it easy for you. Make it easy just because it's it's a it's a give and take. So, and I'm so immersed in my character, concentrating on who I am and just relating to the other person, not Anthony Hopkins. If I looked at it from the side and be like, "Oh my God, I'm with Anthony Hopkins," I'm out of the scene. That's not me. That's not the character. I have to be talking to that character. And I remember in one of the scenes I have when he comes to the hotel and I'm the the the, the the person who checks him in, I said, uh, uh, w, double, double occupancy. And he goes, I'm sorry, what? Because I kind of mumbled it. And I was like, oh, double occupancy, which fed into my character. So he wasn't afraid to be in the scene with me, uh, and which made me go, oh, all you have to do is listen and react. If you can just listen and react, you don't have to worry about anything else. Because if you stay in the character and you listen and react, everything is gravy. The same thing I did with, with Larry David is like I was so immersed in my character as Crazy Eyes. Whatever I said to him, I would just re- it was all re- reaction. I, if I was if I know my character well enough, because I, I did all this research on rappers and house tours and ha- watching MTV Cribs, because I have to give him a house tour. And what would what would crazy eyes do in that situation and if, and there's a pure two pure improv moments in that in Curb Enthusiasm when he goes here I got this raisin box he pulls his raisin box and he goes you have a garbage or something and as crazy eyes I would say oh this is my chance to show him how much money I have because I have shit people to clean up after this I said just throw it and he goes what do you mean I said just throw it anywhere and, that, and that's why I said delicious you know, come some tell come some clean this shit up because I got money so much money I can have a servant come in and, and get it from me. And then when he says, are, are, "Are you my Caucasian?" 
you can see my reaction of like, oh, that was really good because I wasn't expecting that. And I just have to say, because I, I trained in the groundlings as well. And uh, and it's yes and. It's like, oh, yeah, yes. You know, yes, I, I, you're my Caucasian. So working with Larry David and working with Anthony Hopkins, that was – and the only other time I would ever do drag again if it was on television and it's playing my sister. My sister's a doppelganger of my sister. And who else is going to play my sister in drag but – but me, I'm like, no, no, I, I refuse to have anybody else play that. So, by the way, birdseed and pantyhose for boobs. <laughs> now, <laughs> they give the most natural boobs. Yeah. Birdseed and pantyhose is, is, is the secret to nice, full, round breasts. Now, what was your sister's take on you playing her on drag? Was she like, man, you're out of your mind? Or, hey, that's pretty good. What was her take on it? Well, <laughs> she, I think she had a little bit of a say that, you know, what about my brother? But I, I wanted to have her makeup artist do me so I could look as close to her as possible. <laughs> and uh, um, it was one of, those, one of those situations where I was like, I want to be as pretty as pretty can be. And the thing about it is, is that, oh. you know, I want to be, that's glam makeup. So she took one look at it and was like, no, 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 he has to be draggier. He has to be more of a drag queen. And I was like, oh, but I want, I, no, I don't want, I want, she's like, no, no, you're drag. So, so I got harsher makeup or to make me look more, you know, fabulous draggier. But that was my, that's what I wanted to do was be as close, look, uh, close, close to her as possible. Uh, so, yeah, it was, and it was, it's, I worked my sister three, three times, three, three, or, three or four times. That was our, our first time really working together. And it was, it was really nice to be able to, my sister's so, so talented. It was really nice to be able to play, literally play with her, play, play the scene with her and being my character and being her character. And it was such a great experience. I really loved it. Now, not wearing heels again, though. That's it. Yeah. Don't ever ask me to do it again. <laughs> now, you, you, you did a few episodes on Californication, which I love yes. that show. How was that? How was that to shoot that? I mean, it, it was it a fun time. I mean, you seemed like they called you back a few times. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I actually read for Runkle. Okay. I actually was going to test for uh, Runkle. I went away to Brazil, and I was going to come back and test for to play Runkle. And uh, when I, while I was in Brazil, I had auditioned for this David E. Kelly show called The Wedding Bells. And when I was down there, they're like, my manager called me. She's like, they want you to come back and test for The Wedding Bells for Fox. And I knew I was testing for Californication. I was like, no, I'll wait. It's good. I'll wait. And they're like, well, they really want you to come back and test for it. I'm like, well, tell them I'm in Brazil and I'm not leaving Brazil. And I'll come back when I come back. <laughs> I literally, landed, I was like, okay. I literally landed in New York from Brazil because it was before cell phones, like, you know, foreign cell phones anywhere. I landed in New York. They said they, you, you start work on wedding bells. They offered you the role. They start working. You start work on Monday. So I was like, oh, that's how what power looks like of like the power of no. <laughs> that was my greatest power of no situation. And they remembered me, obviously, from from the audition because I was supposed to test for it. And I got the other TV series and they brought me in for uh, Carr, Todd Carr, to play the director. So I got to do five, five episodes, five or six episodes as uh, as Todd Carr, which was, was a lot of fun. And I also worked, got to work with David Duchovny on The Joneses as well in a totally different type of role but he's he's a great he's a great person to 
hang with and work with as well. I really enjoy working with, with David on stuff. He's really smart and he knows his stuff. And he's uh, out of group. California Kitchen was one of my was one of my fun fun times too. Now you've you had such an interesting resume. You did, you did a bunch of stuff with Letterman, and I know I'm I'm a huge Letterman fan. Me and my wife are talking about this. That you know, we're at the age I'm I'm 56. She's 53. So Carson was for me when I was younger. You know, I watched it. I remember right. watching the comics, and my parents watched it. But we were Letterman people, and we were both sad when we because you know Letterman is the thing about Letterman people don't know is he was such an amazing interviewer. But he just right. he never really had the chance because it was so short, you know. Right. Yes. Now, how did you get involved with that? And is it true? Is that is that studio freezing as all hell? <laughs> it is freezing all. It is actually. But uh, what's all what's interesting about it is uh, bringing into play my improv and acting skills. The Stengel brothers, Eric and Justin Stengel, were the head writers for Letterman. And they've been they've Emmy Award winning, and they've been head writers for a long time. And I went to high school with them, so they'd always wanted to work with me. And they're like, "We got this great idea. Next time you're in New York, because I'm from New York, next time you're in New York, come in and we'll do a funny bit where you'll be in the audience and you'll ask Dave a question." So it was the the the, the greatest part about doing that was I'm in the audience. No one knows I'm about. I'm, you know, I'm Mike and stuff, and I get sit, sit, uh, seated. And with my my pretend wife, and no one knows in the audience. So you get and you don't get to rehearse with David either. So you get to rehearse with the writers a little bit beforehand, but when it's when it's on, you got one shot to get it get, get it right. And he has a cute he has cue cards that he can see what he's supposed to say. But me, I have to go off of him and adjust to whether he goes off off course. And the first one, it was like, uh, can, I have a question. I have a question. And he's like, "What? You have a yeah, I have a question, Dave. And I stand up. He's like, yeah, what's your question? I said, is this a rerun? <laughs> and he's like, I'm, what do you mean? I said, because this looks very familiar. He's like, well, how could it be a rerun if you're in the audience? <laughs> and I said, well, why, why don't, how do you know? You'd be home right now. I said, well, how do you know I'm not home? He's like, he's like, well, you're here. I was like, well, let's, let's, let's check my, my cam. And they look up, and it's me. Sitting at home, you know, eating. I, I told you it's a rerun. Come on, we're going, we're going. So we get up and leave. Um, but it's funny. Uh, so I got to do five of them. I can't even find them anymore. They're not even. They don't have any Letterman, old Letterman things that you can even access. I got to do a great one with Henry Winkler, and Henry Winkler sitting in the audience. And I say, uh, Dave, is Henry Winkler on the audience in the thing show today? He's like, Why would Henry Winkler be there? I said, Because he's sitting right in front of me. And he's like, hi, Dave. He's like, oh, I'm watching. It's like, oh, hi, Dave. He's like, uh, like Henry, like, why aren't you on the show? He's like, I'm just here to watch it. I said, you should be on the show. I said, we're leaving, Henry Winkler. Let's go. He's like, but I'm watching. I said, let's go, Henry Winkler. And so he gets up and Henry Winkler leaves with me. So it was it was really, really funny. But uh, you, you only got to work with Dave when you're doing it. So, you know, it was it was incredible. It was a lot really fun. But it was the most nerve-wracking scary thing because you got one, don't mess you got one chance to do it and at one point he messed up one of the lines and i had to re-cue him like uh-oh like we're, we're going off and then he finally got it and we got to do so we did like five of those it was a lot of fun 
Now, you've also done voice work. You were uh, in Grumpy's, uh, Grumpy Cats, you're a hamster, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, what is that like? Like, you know, I know a lot of actors who do, uh, you know, voiceovers for commercials, or they do like a cartoon character. What's it like when they go, hey, yeah, hey, your agent's like, hey, yeah, Chris, uh, you're, you're playing a hamster. You're like, what? You know, what? How does that, I mean, did you audition? And did yeah, you sound yeah. like, did you sound like, I mean, how did they pick you as a hamster? Uh, it was just uh, my. T- you take give your take on it. You know, I auditioned for uh, I auditioned for it just like anything else, and and it was like a hamster. And I, my interpretation of what uh, that hamster would be like. So I put a little urban twist on it, or, or something, and gave it a little bit of an attitude, a little hamster attitude. But that was uh, that was fun. But that was just a regular regular audition that came came through. And uh, a voiceover is fantastic because you can really go there and give as many takes as you want and you know you can wear whatever you want no one's judging how you look it's all about your performance and your voice so that's a lot of that was a lot of fun now you also getting to magic getting to magic uh when i was 40 i got a uh gift of magic lessons at the magic castle in 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 hollywood as magic lessons were the greatest gift i one of the greatest gifts i've ever gotten and so i took classes because i do i did magic as a kid you know, but like a couple tricks, I could do a couple card tricks. But I got to magic class, and I was like in the class, like like the. <laughs> I was so excited to be in the magic castle doing classes, and I took three courses there, and then I learned on my own. And then to become a magician's member at the magic castle, you have to perform in front of four or five panel of professional magicians, some of the best magicians in the world, and show them that you are an actual magician, that you have a pattern. Good thing I was a, I'm a performer, so I had my pattern. I, I knew my tricks and I knew my skill, and I had practiced. And I got I've, so I've been a member there for about 11 years now. Do you know Glenn Farrington? Yes, yes, yeah. He's a magician. Yeah. He was a comic. I knew yeah. him from the comedy days. Larry Wilmore. Larry. There's okay. a lot of actors who are who are also magicians. Well, it's funny yeah. with the Magic Castle. I remember when when I first started dating my wife, she would come to L.A. to visit me. I would come back here a lot in New Jersey, but she would come to L.A. to visit me. And we went to the Magic Castle. And it's so funny because you sit there and someone's going to get you tickets to get in. But even when you get a ticket, it's still 25 bucks to get in. You know what I mean? So you're sitting there going, wait a second. Unless you know somebody. Yeah, and then you have to eat there. So all of a sudden you're sitting there going, and I remember we saw a guy named Lassiter. Uh, Oh, okay. He ended up doing my show. He's like like this real high-end comic. It's very interesting. But it was so cool because, you know, it was we were having a great time. And, of course, one show there was some heckler some lady, drunk lady, it was like a work drunk. party, and I'm like, who heckles magic? I mean, it's the stupidest <laughs> thing. It got me so pissed off. Yeah. Now, exactly. So, no, you, you, were, you were regular on uh, Satisfaction and Family Time and One Big Happy. How did Silicon Valley come about? And that must be great to play on that set, because even when I did the background, it's funny, because when I did the background scene with you, I had, the, the guy came up with a, a bucket full of suds, and threw it on Matt Ross's character. And I had to grab right. the guy and throw him. And all of a sudden, my my Facebook messenger's blowing up. Like, people are like, holy shit, Cooper, you're throwing people around. And then friends of mine are texting me. But what was it like being on that set? Because it's it's such, Mike Judge is just, uh, the guy's amazing. Brilliant. He's pretty brilliant. I was just coming back from a trip for... Uh to uh, the Galapagos <laughs> and I had the audition that afternoon so I landed that morning I had to put myself on tape for that afternoon for Hoover which was the head of security 
And I was like, and I always try to look as different as possible in my roles if, if I can. And I figured uh, he would, Hoover would be ex-military. He'd be very, you know, stern. And what ex-cop military would be, it was a mustache, a big, bushy. So I shaved down to a mustache as much as possible and, and, then, uh, and then gave him a little bit of an attitude. And, and I just put it on tape. And he was only supposed to be recurring for a, a, a small amount. But I looked at him as Matt Ross. First of all, Matt Ross is brilliant. Matt Ross is brilliant. Everybody on that set is is brilliant. The writing was incredible uh, and so specific. I remember saying certain things. I had to say Cepheus. No, 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 it's Cepheus. They said, no, no, it's Cepheus. I'm like, oh, oh. like in this long monologue, I had to change from Cepheus to Cepheus. They're very, they're very technical. And they, have, they know everything. And the writing is so sharp and right on. It was, it's such, it was such a, I did 20 episodes. So I was only supposed to do a couple, but I got to do throughout the, the, the four seasons I was on. It was so much fun because I got to work with Matt and, you know, I would do anything for, for, for Gavin yeah. Delson. You know, I was like, you know, I was his, his, his pit bull basically. Um, and that as the character, that's what drove me to be like, you know, I'm a company man, you know, military company man back you know, that kind of thing. Like, if he, if I'm working for him, he's going to get my 100%. But then he gets fired, and you can see the, the I had such a struggle trying to, you know, justify, you know, being a company man, and then, but still having my, my feelings for, uh, <laughs> my feelings for, uh, for Gavin Belson. But uh, that was, an, it, that was amazing. I really had a great time. And I got to work with the, with the guys, the rest of the guys, um, in one scene. Which is really good because I, I, it's always been me and me and Gavin, me and Gavin against everybody else, and uh, I got to work with uh, with uh, Thomas and all those other, and Kamal and it, that was a lot of fun. And one of the things that um, um, they were so they were so great, all of the all of the uh, the other actors. It's so easy to be in when when people are good. It makes it so much easier. It really does. If you can get with good people and you're lucky enough to be with good actors, it makes your job so much, so much easier. But when you have to like work and work, ugh, it's like pulling teeth. I was going to ask you that. Okay, as an actor, I mean, like anyone, as you know, if you look at your IMDb, you've had a lot of roles. And, you know, it's like anything. You've personally, you've probably done some things that you thought weren't that good. The scripting wasn't that good. You know, whatever. You may have thought it was good going into it. But when you go from like, let's say you do something that's not that good, and then you said the writing so was so great on uh, Silicon Valley, how much sweeter is it? I mean, it must just be like you're you're walking into a conference level where you don't have to worry. You don't have to. You don't probably as an actor, you don't have to sell it because it's just great. Does that make it easier, or do you get a little more lazier because you know the stuff is just going to pop? Well, that's interesting because it. it, it you have to approach every project differently. So sometimes you can add more things to like with, with Silicon, the writing was so good. I could do personal things with Hoover on top of, uh, on top of the writing, uh, as opposed to some other shows that I've had to do. I've had to, um, amp it up a little bit or, or do something or, or make my character even stronger to make up for make up for the writing. But you have to approach them, approach them differently. You have to take each each project differently, and 
but, but the technical aspect of it also, you know, with, with Silicon, there's so much detail that in some things you can get, uh, other shows you can get away with saying if instead of uh, that or something like that. Like they're so specific. You got to be on your game to the T as well as they say, okay, we're going to take this whole thing out. I had a whole big long speech. Like we're going to take this out. Now I want you to say, you know, someone, someone, so-and-so at the thing. I was like, okay. And, and that makes it even, it makes it difficult when it, when it, when it comes to being so technical. So there's a, there's a give and take in terms of some things that are not so technical that you may have to zhuzh up and some things that are so technical, you have to be down to, you have to be on your game uh, and very, very specific. So it all depends. So now, now you're working and then you get cast on the great indoors and that's a, sitcom on a network now i don't right. it was, that's was that was that in front of my wife used to watch that a lot was that in, and i would see you and i go hey that was a guy said it. uh was that in front of a live audience yes okay. that was a, that was a sitcom in front of a live audience so what was that and experience mike, mike gibbons who's the creator of, of the great indoors was a writer on a sh- uh on a show that i did called one big happy on nbc so it's also another thing with in this business it's very small so you got to do your best work no matter what it is. One Big Happy was a series. Uh, Liz Feldman, who has a Dead to Me now, very successful show on Dead to Me. This was her her CBS show uh, with Nick Zano and Rebecca Corey and uh, Alicia Cuthbert. And it, we only had six episodes, but I got to play a uh, secondary character. And Rebecca Corey was my wife. When we got to play, you know, I, I was a kind of a, a sycophant to my, my wife. You know, I was, I was you know... Uh, whipped, so to speak. Um, actually, I shouldn't shouldn't use the word whipped anymore because that's not yeah. I was a, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, so I was you know so, um, and and one of the writers who who was helping with the script was Mike Gibbons, and Mike Gibbons the next year remembered he said and he told me later he said I remember writing for you one time, and I said that was funny and he looked up and it was me and he's like I want to write for him one day, so. He did a pi- he did a pilot for CBS the next year, um, and uh, called the, uh, the, uh, the half of it. And they did a pilot, and it was no there were no stars in it, but it was hysteric. James Burroughs directed it, so getting to work with the incredible James Burroughs, and I got to he said, "Would you do this guest star for the pilot?" And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I'd love to." And then work with James Burroughs, so I came in there, and I did I took my take on this uh, Uber driver. And I went in there and I and I did it, and it was almost like a Kramer character that you you liked my character so much. At the end, when I make a recall, when I come back in, and they open the door, I'm like, "Oh, we got a ride to school." And they open the door, and it's me. The the applause from the audience were like, "Oh my God, it's so and so." They had an applause break. I had to wait until the, I was like, "Wow, that was like that was one of the biggest." Uh, jolts of of adulation that i've ever gotten in my life so i did that with and and we had such great and james Burroughs came up to me later when i did two broke growth he's like you know what the other half they should have picked that up but they said there was no stars in it and they'd have they couldn't market it so he's like i'm pissed at cbs for not picking that show up it's a good show too but then mike also um came came back again and he said i'm gonna write something for you so in the script for the great indoors there was a um a character named Eddie, and it was a Chris Williams type. And I'm like, oh, like, okay, what's a Chris Williams? What's a Chris Williams? Type? <laughs> it's like, I'm like, oh, 
Am I, you know, like, are the other people going to be reading for a Chris Williams type? If I don't get a Chris Williams type, you know, what's going to happen? And, and and luckily, CBS, since I had done such a good job on the other half, they, they offered me the role, so I didn't have to go through all the all the things. So uh, I got to do that. Now, what was uh, that like? And, and working in a live studio audience is so much fun. It's so much fun. What was it like, though? And I ask people this just because it's so, you know, especially you work for a long time and then you get that show. And it's doing, it seemed like it was doing well in the ratings. It was a solid show. And then it gets canceled. Like, so, so uh, did you see what, that what coming? What did I say about the 90%? What did I say about the 90%? <laughs> because literally, I mean, I, I went to, I mean, I was making good money and I was like, okay, but you, you never know. And we're sure we followed the, the Big Bang Theory. Our, our ratings are pretty good. You could see the development of the show was really coming around. We're really getting our, our, our feet wet. And um, and then uh, we, I was 95% sure we were coming back. 95% sure, and we did not get picked up. And I was like, <gasps> could not believe it. But that's one of those things you have to prepare for, the fact that you might not, you might not be able to, you might not be coming back. Even if it looks like the optics on it are perfect, you never no, you can only do things that are in your control. And the, and the weird thing about that was it had a not only did it have a good um, supporting class because I believe the one girl actually is on uh, the show about Little Dicky now, um, the Asian girl. She went on to yeah, that. she's also an upload. Oh, oh shoot, I'm sorry, Steve. Hold on one second. Uh, yeah, she she's on an upload as well, Christine Co. Yeah, now. The, yeah. I got a for you. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Sorry about that. Steve. That's fine. But no, it's it's it had a good supporting cast, and I had Joel McHale, who's a name people recognize yes. Joel, whether it be from talk yes. or stand up. So that must hurt more because like, did it just? I mean, how do they break it to you? Did they just say? Does your agent call and say, "Hey, yeah, you know what? I'm sending you out on auditions again." Well, you you watch. You're watching what's being picked up, and and you can see. Uh, from when when the season ends, you can actually see the progress of what CBS is feeling. What you know, they picked up uh, four shows immediately on, on our last taping. They picked up four shows immediately and didn't pick ours up. So it was like, huh, that's interesting. And the the thing about it was the president of CBS at the time, who who championed our show, had a heart attack in January, and new people were coming in. Now, I don't know if it was a politics thing or who knows what the reason was, but so when that when they got picked up, it went down to like 85%, oh, we should be picked up, and then as, as time goes on, it goes to 70%, and then it doesn't look good, but you still hope you're holding on to it, and then at one point when they're about to announce some new things, they say, hey, um, we didn't get, we didn't, we're not coming back, so. Upload. I just, I yes. finished watching it. Great show. That guy looks like Tom Cruise so much. <laughs> the lead dude. Yeah. I'm like, what was it? Once again, you're working with a very brilliant creator writer. What did you expect from that show? Because you know it's on Amazon. You don't know if people are going to watch it, but you know the names connected are good. What was it? Right. What was that like for you when, to get cast into that? <laughs> this is what's really interesting about Upload is that I went into it going, I have no shot. He's supposed to be 65. He's the father of a 20-something-year-old. He's dying of, of vape lung. It's in the future. I read this. I read my side. It's supposed to be a com- I didn't even know it was a comedy. 
did not know it was a comedy because all my sides were very serious. It was this first scene with me and my, my daughter. And I'm like, well, I'm, only, I'm 52. I mean, I technically I could have a daughter that age. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just go in there and do my best. So I put on makeup. I put on like, uh, old makeup. Like, so I look really sickly and I went in there and I was coughing my butt off and I tried to do the best I could. But the other guys who were in the audition were in their sixties and, you know, late fifties, sixties. And they looked like the role, but you know, what that's what the role was. So I just did my best. And when they said I got it, I was like, I, I'm like, really? Like, I got, Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. I got it. Well, and I had no, as I said, I didn't have no idea it was a comedy. So that's why you have to really concentrate on who your, what your role is and not worry about the milieu of what the show is about. So all of my scenes were very tender, uh, straightforward, not a lot of comedy, maybe a little bit of comedy, but, and I have that, but my, my goal in that was just to, um, be as quiet and still and connect with my daughter as much as possible. And Andy Allo is a star. She's, she's Great. incredible. Great. She's, she's so she's adorable. And, and, and Robbie, I love what I loved about Robbie's performance is that I always feel like he's holding back a little bit. He's always holding back, but that works so much. Well, so for the character, because he's not fully uploaded. It's not fully him. Uh, so it works. It was, it's brilliant. And he was so, Everyone was so easy to work with, and Greg has such a specific vision of what he wants. When you have a showrunner and a writer and someone who's running your show that knows exactly what they want, he's been talking about this show for 20, 20 plus years. And when and when they when he says this is what I want and this is how how it's going to go, it's so much easier if you know where the ship is going to do whatever you need to do on the ship. Um, so it was an incredible experience. Crazy part about it is. I auditioned for that in December of 2017. Holy crap. Shot the pilot in January of 2018. Shot the series in March, April, May of 2019. Didn't air till May 2020. Wow. So two and a half years, two and a half years after we shot the pilot, did the series come about. Because there's so much technical stuff. There's so much CGI. So, but two and a half years, like, like when is it going to ever come out? And it came out at the perfect time when everybody's home and everybody's in this new... It was perfect. It could not have been per- more perfect. Now, what do you have coming up? Anything uh, in, in the docket already booked? Uh, anything already filmed? or Not yet. Nope. Nothing right now. Just I'm writing I'm writing for myself. I'm going to write stuff for myself and, and try to go and... Uh, who knows how it's going to look like when, when we come back. Right. But we got picked up for season two, which is great. So I know at least I'll... I'll, I'll play Andy's father again. In 2024. They'll shoot it in 2025. Exactly. I want to thank you for coming on, man. This is great. That's funny because oh, I, I, when I worked with you, I still remember because I, you know, it was so funny because I would do background occasionally and then I would have guests. I used to record in a studio. So I'd have guests that had been on my show and I'd see them and I'd sit with them and eat with lunch and all the other background would be like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I know the guy. But it's just funny. So uh, so now give uh, give your info. Twitter, Your what's your Twitter account? Uh, Chris Williams underscore. And are you on Instagram? In- Instagram is Chris.Williams underscore. Okay. Chris.Williams underscore on Instagram, yeah. 
Okay, so people go check him out. I'm, I'm sure he travels a lot. He's probably got some great pictures on Instagram, which I'm going to go follow him now. Yeah. So follow him, people. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. There's over 800 episodes there. Email me at coopertalk.net. And that's about it. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.